This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. It's just when, when people are just blinded, they choose to be blind. Like when you're like, you have eyes to see. You have the Holy Spirit. How could you like not hear? Why are you not hearing? Hey everybody, welcome to The Calling. My name is Richard Clark and I am the online managing editor for Christianity Today. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Latasha Morrison. Then I'm here right now with Morgan Lee. Morgan, hey. How's it going, Richard? So you're the co-host of Quick to Listen. We have you on the podcast to help me talk through uh, who I'm interviewing. Uh, and this is a particularly good show to have you on because you have also interviewed Latasha Morrison. Yeah, for everyone who doesn't know, Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be the Bridge, which I would describe as curriculum or program or Latasha really cares about helping people work to a true place of racial justice and doing so at a very, very interpersonal level. And so she's kind of um, started, yeah, like I would say the curriculum to help people get into situations where they can really learn and grow in their ability to talk about race and in some occasions potentially repent of things and also just build relationships with people who come from um, different ethnic backgrounds and nationalities and races than others. Yeah. I really enjoyed this interview because we talked a lot about sort of her personal, um, her personal investment in the issue, why, why she is the way she is, why she is a build bridge builder, which the answer to that question surprised me a little bit. It's a little deep. And also, um, we talked a little bit about like the role grace plays in these conversations, which I think hasn't been talked about enough probably. Um, and when it is, it's assumed like it's, it's, uh, oversimplified. So, um, yeah, really good conversation. I really enjoyed it. I'd highly recommend you listening. Go check out Morgan's interview as well on CT women. It's called the church is the only place equipped to do racial reconciliation. Well, Richard can put a link to it in the show notes as well. Hey, Christianity Today magazine. The latest issue is super relevant to the conversation that Latasha and I had uh, about racial reconciliation. It is a cover story on America's history with racial violence and lynching in particular and the stuff that Equal Justice Initiative is doing. I think it's a really interesting discussion. We've been having, you know, our country's in the middle of this long conversation about monuments and memorials and what the purpose of them is. And I've seen very few articles that really look at this from a, give it a theological treatment and yeah. a biblical treatment about how the Bible looks at monuments and memorials and how they're used and how sometimes they're used to commemorate really honorable things. And sometimes they're supposed to be there to remind us of our own sin. Right. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think it's a really, really meaningful passage to just kind of like wrestle with in this time and place. It doesn't really touch on any of the discussion about Confederate memorials. This, as you mentioned, is mostly about lynchings, but I think it's worth everyone's time. So if you want to own that issue, you can read it for free online. Um, but if you want to own that issue, have it with you, you can, um, order CT. We actually have a special deal for listeners. Uh, if you go to orderct.com slash the calling, that's orderct.com slash the calling, you will get a uh, discounted subscription plus a bonus download created especially for our podcast listeners. Just go ahead, go over there, subscribe. You'll get 10 issues. You'll get access to our whole online archive, all kinds of cool stuff. Here's the interview with Latasha Morrison. I should say just for the sake of like clarity that it was recorded several months ago so before all the charlottesville stuff happened for instance here it is you do a lot of facebook lives not a lot of facebook lives but i do some in the group um i don't do it as often as some people like mm -hmm. daily some it seems like some people do them daily right i do maybe one a month 
you know, but I, I'm, I actually do Instagram live more. I do Instagram live more. I'm, I'm fascinated by people who do these because I can't, like every time I do one of those, I'm like, why is everyone looking at me? I know. It, it's it's an awkward <laughs> thing, but like if you're, people like when you do stuff, if you're showing them stuff right. and, you know, so Instagram is different because the stories, you know, like I've, I've, I didn't really have an opportunity to really capture when you're doing stuff here now, maybe today I can capture more. But I didn't have the opportunity to capture a lot of what's going on here at the Justice Conference. But people want to glimpse in, like, if they can't make it. Like, sometimes I've been in events, like, one time on Instagram Live or either Facebook Live. I was at an event at the King Center, and I was listening to Andrew Young. And, I mean, so much wisdom there. And I just had, you know, I put it you know i recorded him and people were so appreciative of it like the whole thing a, a good portion of it yeah. like when he was talking a good portion people of that it. just couldn't be there it yeah was, well, it's people, like it's nice because it's yeah, like a pleasant surprise invited, you know and so yeah so i i gave them you know something that uh, opportunity to have a glimpse at something a glance at yeah um something that i was invited to you know so when you can do stuff like that you know yeah um oh that's cool you know so you know and that's then awesome. sometimes silly stuff i went to your workshop yesterday and while you were oh. talking i was like doing my research and oh. i was looking at the facebook page and i clicked on one of your videos and it almost it was like i had a moment of panic because it almost started playing like one oh. of your facebook live videos <laughs> just pops up on my phone and you were like and i was like oh <laughs> Slide, <laughs> shut that thing down so fast. It was terrifying. Okay. That was the most exciting. Oh, so you were in there. Okay, that's yeah. good. Yeah, okay. it was good. Yeah, okay. Um, so because of that, I probably know a little bit of how you're going to answer this question, but oh. we, we, <laughs> we always start the podcast with, with this question. How would you define your calling? I would define my calling as definitely one of, of seeking justice, you know, and and that's something that I think that thread has been in my life, not just in my bridge building work, but I've done a lot of work in human trafficking. Um, you know, so I think it's just been a thread in my life from from the time I was a little girl. So I thought you were going to say bridge building. Yeah. But that's interesting to me because probably you're thinking of bridge building as a way as a means to the end. Yes. Yes. I think bridge building is the, the vehicle yeah. that I use for that. And yeah. I and, and with everything. So br- bridge building is the, the vehicle. But I think for me, um, you know, my calling, if I had to break it down into kind of three over um, three words, I would say it's leader, change agent, and um, bridge builder, yeah. And I got that from my life plan. <laughs> when did you do your life plan? I did my life plan in 2012. 2000. What made you want to do a life plan? Um, because you know there was a lot of pieces, and I was just in a transition. Yeah. And I just went through a low period in ministry, and just really wanted to see and hear God clearly. Mm-hmm. And um, a friend of mine had. Actually, she was actually the first African-American to get certified in it under hmm. the, um, I guess, the Patterson thingy, the people who do that. The Patterson thingy. Uh, yeah. Got it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> her, her name is Zared. And um, she, we actually did my life plan before I moved to Austin. But really, the thing is, I'm so glad I didn't know how impactful it would be, mm. you know, because in the moment I was in the midst of grad school, moving, just so many life changes when I did the um, the life plan. But it was it has been key to as things are happening in my life now, these changes in my life was happening with Be the Bridge and everything. Mm-hmm. I can go back to that. And it was it was a blueprint. It really confirms that you're on the right path, you right. know? And so it's been a, a confirmation for me. What What was the moment that you realized that you were called to pursue justice? I would say really understanding that probably in 2006, mm. 2006, 2007, um, probably was the, uh, the clarity. I've all, like I was doing it, but didn't really know what I was doing. Okay, in that yeah. But it was really on a trip and actually it was, in 2006 on a trip to um to rwanda okay i visited rwanda mm-hmm. why did you decide to go to rwanda um our church was doing some work with the peace plan um a church that i was a part of in atlanta um and we were doing a lot of work with um the peace plan and it was in rwanda and so we actually 
went um we took a group of and you don't hear this a lot because i was a part of a predominantly african-american church but we took about over 20 um people to rwanda to kind of a learning and sharing thing um and that was really that really changed my life you know getting out i think sometimes when you get outside of the the context of the 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 american context western culture context you you can see for me i can see god more clearly and um um even when i went to panama panama i realized that you know we can have this american exceptionalism and, and you know and think everything revolves around our culture and our view and our culture is the norm and everybody else is, you know, the other, you know, in a sense, but going into these spaces, you realize that God is at work in every culture, you know, he's at at work in so many people groups and we're all his children and no one is more special than the other. So I think that those type of things open my mind up. Right. You know, it seems like that initial drive to seek justice was, at least spurred on by sort of international, global right. it concerns. Was. It was. At what point were, did you start thinking U.S.? Like, you talk a lot about race relations in the right. U.S. right now. So mm-hmm. at what point did you start thinking, like, oh, this is something I can focus on that is, that is like, hits home for me and a lot of people mm-hmm. here? It came through my work with human trafficking. I was doing a lot of work with human trafficking and thought, okay, this is, is this going to be the thing? But that's, it's so hard. Like, that's so hard. And then I started looking at some of the intersections and what makes people vulnerable. And a lot of things that make people vulnerable and more susceptible to human trafficking, when you look at it as a whole, it is, is, is poverty. Um, it, it is, um, vulnerabilities that, you know, that make them. And so I started looking at that and that's a lot of people of color. So you have, um, the, 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 Asian immigrant community, um, you have the the African American community, you know, and you have these other um, anomalies, you know, in the mix of this. But I think, you know, I started seeing some of the intersections, and um, I really wanted, and I, the one of the turning points. I've always had this conversation. I was in, I was in high school, you know, I was. I was in our leadership class, you know, petitioning for our our school to acknowledge Black History Month, yeah, you know. Yeah. So that thread has always been in me since high school. Um, so I was, where did you go? To, where did you go to high school? I went to high school in North Carolina, and they, in college and they did, in North Carolina. And was it predominantly white? It was or just, predominantly white. Okay. I've always grown up, but my uh, environments have been probably more diverse, okay, um, than any any other place. Like in in a sense, for a lot of people, like you know, I wasn't like only extracurricular activities I may have been the only but in my class I saw black teachers I saw Asian teachers I had my I grew up in a military town which is Fayetteville North Carolina so it's very diverse my neighborhood was very diverse um um you know kind of like I would say middle class lower middle class neighborhood um my grandpa father was in the military my dad was in the military where my grandparents lived when they moved um, once they had the opportunity like as far as like against redlining and housing and stuff like that they moved to a more a neighborhood that was um more diverse so that's been a part of me you know and so I think one of the turning points for me to really launch fully into this um was Trayvon Martin that's you'll notice that that's probably a a turning point for a lot of especially um, educated African-Americans where because there's a certain privilege that we have um, me coming from the area that I come from coming from the community that I come from there's different things that I wasn't exposed to that my father was exposed to you know growing up in the projects or something like that and those things are they have a different context now than they did then because that was the only choice they had because of Jim Crow and you know different things like that um, because of laws that we created. But I think for um, for me, I was given a new, a, a different opportunity. So I understand that. But I think this, you, you, you think things are fair. A lot of times, even growing up as a, as an African-American, like, you know things, but you don't know how to name it. You see it, you see injustice, but you don't necessarily know how to name it. And so it takes an educating because it's not something that's taught in school. And it's not something that, you know, my parents talked about. But when I think um, the... Trayvon Martin, how that played out. And you saw these narratives that were, you, you're looking at this and you're like, 
this is so unjust. And I think that was a turning point for me to start learning, leaning into this conversation and educating myself on what was going on around me. That's really interesting because that was, um, that was also a time when I became aware of some of these issues, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like Trayvon mm-hmm. sort of planted a seed. And I think Ferguson sort mm-hmm. of like is what mm-hmm. really opened yeah. my eyes to some things. Yeah. But what, what I'm hearing you're saying, you saying is that you were kind of a little bit aware of, aware of those things pers- on a personal level, but, right. but didn't know how to articulate it or yeah. at least ha- it hadn't been clarified for you. Right. I think I was just, it was a, just another systemic thing that I became aware of, okay. you know, um, I knew from college, like, you know, from my experiences in college, of course, you know, when you leave the confounds of home and hometown and stuff like that, I was exposed to more racism, but it was like very individual and personal racism. And I did see the difference in how our college treated um, black fraternities and sororities versus white fraternities and sororities that probably did worse you know and so you saw those and those things that were injustices but that was like in the college institution but um when i started seeing things govern in the government you know when i and like for me with trayvon like the judicial system um and so it just really it, it was there was always things out there but i lived in this little box where i didn't read i didn't know some of the things that were happening in new york and all these places so none of this is new it's always happened um you know our community is very resilient in a sense and people move on. Um, but you know, um, I think now with cell phones and all that stuff it's made these things more prominent more visual, more out in the open. And so I think that's the thing too, that has changed because if you think about the things I'm talking about, um, some of the earlier things, 2006, 2007, 2008, this is when, you know, you have the, the smartphone coming about. And so I think that some of this has changed because of, um, of that. And, you know, it's not that people didn't see, or you may see stuff, but then you're noticing that other people are seeing, and then there's, way to connect to other people that are seeing you know yeah uh a lot of people who are pursuing justice aren't as focused on the bridge building thing and that's Mm -hmm. fine but you you are you're particularly focused on the bridge building thing in this season of your life Mm -hmm. what what led you to that i think for me because i'm naturally a bridge builder okay like with anything with any other thing, any other subject. Yeah. Um, when it came to my family, you know, my parents are divorced. Mm -hmm. through their separation, wow, I was a yeah. bridge builder. You know what I'm saying? Interesting, yeah. Um, in my family, what when age things were you have when happened, they got my parents were 13 when I they separated and they were 16. I was 16 when um, they divorced. And okay. so I've always been that bridge builder, you know, when someone in the family is talking about someone else, don't talk about them, you know? Like I've always been that, that's my personality and I get a lot of that, um, I think, from my father and from my grandmother. So, you know, um, um, and so I think that's naturally who I am. So I'm not being, I'm being authentic in my bridge building. I don't know how to be anything else. So it comes easy for me. It's very hard, but it's very hard, but it comes um, naturally. It comes natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes natural for me. And so, um, it is who I am, Yeah, you know? And so that, that part is tough, you know, especially in this work, especially right. when you're talking about racial reconciliation, mm-hmm. um, because you you've heard me say this you get walked on from both sides right. because you're not pleasing any group mm-hmm. you know so one group's you know so I have the white people feel like oh you're persecuting me you know and then the black people you're not saying it strong enough or you're being too light or you you know you're being too passive or you know like and so you you don't you know and then the other groups are like you're not talking about us enough you know mm-hmm. so it's like this you know you're trying to balance all of that tension yeah and it becomes really hard and I think for me um, from the people of color, it, it hurts the worst, you know. Was there ever a time where you where you doubted that you were called to this? Yeah, every time it gets hard. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's like you we all we all are gonna have our doubts, but I think um, you can your doubt can really fuel your faith if you lean into it the right way, you know. And so, for me, of course, there's doubt because human nature and the, you know, we want to give up, you know? Um, but when you look on the other side and that's why I think it points back to 
knowing that it's a calling and something God has called you into and that I don't have to carry that burden alone. And sometimes this, you know, when I'm down and I'm, that means I need to take a break and, you know, just really, um, be with God in that sense. And, you know, um, what are that, what is your, what does your break look like? Like, what um, do you do? It's really hard right now because I also, as I'm doing this bridge building work, um, be the, be the bridge. I work full time on church staff. Right. And so that's, that has been the conflict because it doesn't overlap with what yeah. I do with be the bridge. And so a break from be the bridge is not a break from my job. A break from my job is not a break from be the bridge. And most of the time I'm doing both of those. And so I, I am a person that's a high capacity person. I can juggle a lot of things, but so you're looking to run be the bridge full time. Yeah. I'm looking to run it full time. I'm going to do some other things on this side. Like I said, I've Mm -hmm. always been high capacity, but the things I do on the side, they're going to overlap with be the bridge. Right. And so as long as it's overlapping, I can do it, but I can't do something that's in one box and the other thing is in the other box. And it's sad because, you know, this is ministry work and we're talking about the racial divide in our country and we're talking about um, bringing the church in to be a transformative and distinctive force in this work but the work I do in the church is so separate from what I do in Breathe the Bridge and Uh so that's you know so when you think about that in hindsight you know um, I'm I operate as the operations director at a church. Um, and so that's like for some people that would be like executive pastor role in okay. a, um, in a, in a um, church plant, mm-hmm. uh, a mobile, well, we have satellites, so we have three locations. So I'm at the newest. And so that startup, we're in that startup mode. So right. it's like really hard. So I can go speak on behalf of be the bridge on a Friday, Saturday, have to be up early Sunday to be at church. <laughs> and then we're there. It's like intense setup and uh-huh. labor intense. And so you leave there exhausted and then you start Monday. Wow. You know, wow. and so, and I, that's been happening, you know, the last year for me. So, uh, when did Be the Bridge start again? Um, Be the Bridge officially became an organization, it, not into June 2016, but um, it it started officially as a, we launched as a ministry in February of 2016. We, we center a lot of our views of race on politics versus um, the message of Jesus. And so we have to unravel a lot of those things. And um, I think, you know, in our conversations, we were able to paint a picture and see, and then we were able to see how, segregated our lives are even as Christians that, you know, people don't know the experiences that um, people of color go to and through in this country. And then we can have assumptions about even um, the experiences of white people too, because they're all different. Nobody's monolithic, but sometimes we look at each other with generalizations as though those groups are monolithic and they're not. Hey everybody, we're interrupting the interview to talk about another podcast that Christianity Today produces. It is called, Morgan, what's it called? Quick to Listen. Tell us what it is. Quick to Listen is a once a week new show where we discuss something that is controversial, that you probably have some sort of emotional feeling about, and that you probably need a little bit more information to really know how to feel about it in an informed way. Yeah, I really enjoy it. It's really good. I'd highly suggest everyone check it out. Anyway, here we go back to the interview. I'm going to I'm going to say uh I'm going to speculate on some things and then uh-huh. you correct me. Uh-huh. Uh if you want. So when I I started my role as online managing editor at mm-hmm. Christianity Today uh right before the election season kind of kicked up. Uh-huh. And um I remember as things progressed and as as the election started happening getting increasingly ugly and then mm-hmm. everything that followed, I remember feeling really like discouraged and the thing I did maybe mattered way less than I thought it did in terms of like this internet work. Right. Cause that was primarily what I'm responsible for. That's something I'm still working through. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that you do is like very like real life relationship based. Mm-hmm. You have a Facebook group, but, it, but a lot of that Facebook group is talking about real life and it's right. Talking about the Bible study and right. working. And my speculation is you must've felt, almost emboldened by what had happened. Like, obviously that, that wasn't a good situation, but you must've felt like the division in our country is really discouraging and frustrating. Yeah. But also you must've felt like this is definitely something we can help with. Yeah. I, I think this is the thing because people don't know 
what they don't know, but right. you, what what you don't know cannot be excused for not learning. Right. And I think sometimes we can use it as an excuse, like, you know, because I always say, you don't know what you don't know. But then the thing is, don't use it as an excuse not to learn, yeah. you know. So I think that opens the door when you know you don't know something that you need to learn and tap into that. And I believe that when um, you tap into these relationships and you engage with other people who are not like you culturally, who are not like you ethnically, um, who maybe have different the theological views with you, you'll develop empathy. And what we see this happening with the church, which is like uh, so counter you know, the message of Jesus is a lot of apathy. And um, you see that emerging and you see that how um, our politics and, you know, nationalism, all that is, has been intertwined into our theology and people cannot, they don't see it. They think it's justified, you know, and, you know, and I'm here to say that Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't be an elephant or a donkey, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and those are the things It's like the, the body of Christ was supposed to be that third place. And um, we're not um, acting as that third place. We're choosing size in that sense and so and then being against people on the other side so with this conversation it does end up you know this conversation because it's policy that has done the, the injustices um, and so it would have to be policy to unravel the injustices, but you don't start there. So you can't start the relationship building, a bridge building with that conversation, with that middle ground conversation that there has to be transformation in people's heart before you can get there. And so we kind of would be the bridge. We're like that on ramp um, for that relationship building and getting taking those steps to move from awareness, you know, to that point of conviction where you can because conviction should lead us to action you know these are all actions love is loving your neighbor's action you know and so it takes us to that point of um then launching into some of the advocacy because you're talking about some of the people that like you that these bible studies are for i guess are for like you said people who don't know what they don't know right right how do you get them in those bible studies in the first place because a lot of times, like a lot of Bibles are like, get a better marriage, yeah, yeah. learn more. I don't know, even like learn more about the it's gospel, a little different, whatever. Because we call it a guide, we call okay. it a be the, a conversation guide. Okay. And so people are more open to do that, you know. And so what what we do is we started um, through we kind of modeled it at a conference. Um, what we do, and we have a guide that you can download, um, and you find we tell you to find people who are not like you, you know, as mm -hmm. you're prepping, mm -hmm. doing the work. You know, we give book people books to read where they can start off reading and then um you know so then some of the things that you can do is as you um as you start launching into this work we want you to um, form a group you know maybe friends in your community friends in your church that you can kind of pull together and you start having this conversation and here's a guide that you know of scriptures and some background and some questions that you can answer and start doing life together so it's mm -hmm. not just about going through this guide but you know do some things with your your family because you would be surprised at how many um, black people had never been into a white person's home Mm -hmm. or how many Latino people who have never been into an Asian person's home or, you know, mm -hmm. like all these things we that we 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 operate socially in our own racial boxes a lot. Yeah. And that's not yeah. everyone, but a lot of what you see, um, you know, 80 percent, you know, 86 percent of the people you hang out with are people you go to church with. Mm -hmm. And if your churches are racially segregated, just think about that. We only have two point five percent multi-ethnic, multicultural churches in America. Right. And when the church started out as a multi-ethnic multicultural right. you know movement yeah. and so you think about that and so um if you're not you know in each other's homes and so we encourage that um, we're chur encouraging churches to partner with other churches other denominations so we have you know there's churches in Atlanta that have built networks you know pastors who have built networks and done this work together and now they're pulling their church into it so we're sm they're merging small groups and doing some sharing you know um, throughout scripture if we look at it there's nothing new we're not dealing with anything new but we're not learning from history. Yeah. 
We're not looking, we're not reading the Bible through that perspective because our culture and I, our experiences influence how we interpret the word. Because you think about the Puritans, the Puritans were Christians who were escaping what religious persecution, but yet, and still they enslaved people and told people they were chattel. They dehumanized people and they, they had, and we can say, well, that was the time it was different. It's not different now. It's the same Bible, the same Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. God God has not changed. Does that discourage you a little bit, or do you think like I'm 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 wrestling these days with yeah. like w- the arc of the the church's hi- the uh-huh. church history, right? Yeah. And like I'm wondering how you feel about that. Do you feel like we're supposed to, or that we will get better over mm-hmm. time? Like just I guess n- net gain. Like, are, mm-hmm. is this going to improve, or is yeah. this something like no, it's not necessarily going to get better. We just need to work against it. anyway you know what I mean yeah I think the thing is we have to work I do think things will get better but I look at movements in the sense where you think about we we no longer have slavery in the way that we had it um you know earlier in in centuries earlier um we don't have um you know, Jim Crow in the way that we had it in the 60s, but um, it's it takes on new forms and so we still have to fight against it because things have gotten better you know what I'm saying? You and I are sitting here at a conference together having this conversation. <laughs> right. And so there's always hope. And so we never give up hope because mm-hmm. we serve the, serve the God of hope, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. so, um, and so we, I think we learn from those things and we keep teaching truth mm-hmm. and because everybody will not change, but there will be a few. Mm-hmm. And so just think about it. God used 12. Mm. For me, it's it's difficult because I do know some of the fruit in the seeds that we're planting now. I may not see all the benefits of it. You know, you think about MLK. He died in 1968. He didn't see all the fruits of his labor, Mm, but we're still living off the fruit of his labor, you know. And so I may not see all the fruit of the the things that's going to happen with Be The Bridge, but it could be someone that's in a Be The Bridge group that has a a five-year-old or, you know, a three-year-old that they're bringing up in this work and to, to think differently and then no telling what that five-year-old three-year-old could be and become 20, 30 years from now, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so those are the seeds that we're planted. It's not just about for this generation, but it's for the generations to come. On a personal level, mm-hmm. what would you say is like the biggest struggle you have doing this work? Um, I think just really trying to balance emotions and um, expectations because it's so hard and it's so personal because as a personal color it's so personal so sometimes it's, it's difficult not to get angry like and it's all right and I what I realize is it's all right to be angry um, and to be you know this righteous anger you know whoa you know the bible talks about whoa that is not just a a woe of you know concern but that's a woe of anger you know and so it's all right to be there but i think for me um it's just when when people are just blinded they choose to be blind like when you're like you have eyes to see you have the holy spirit how could you like not here why are you not hearing and then i think i think about you know um how pharaoh's heart was hardened you know so god could you know his glory can be seen and shown and um sometimes i wonder is that what what's happening you know sometimes with with people um but i think it's disheartening sometimes to see the church just complicit in a huge part of the problem you know, to not only just be a huge part of the problem, but to have started the problem. A lot of things that people argue about, mm-hmm. especially in the realm of like Christian discussions, evangelicalism, feel very abstract or they feel very like impersonal, not impersonal. That's not the right word. But a lot of times the things people argue about can feel very intellectual, but it must be hard to talk about this subject, to debate about this subject when it's sort of inherently personal and also remain charitable. Yeah. I don't know how, like how would you, how do you balance? I don't know if balance is the right word, but that's a tension, right? Yeah. That's a, that's a tension. And I think, I think that's a gift Mm -hmm. to be honest. I think it's not something that I do because you know, um, 
You're saying it's like a grace. It's a grace. Yeah, it's it a happens. grace. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, grace <laughs> upon grace. And I think, and I always, I'm, you know, and I'm not trying to be super spiritual here, but I always think about how Jesus extended grace in mm. the, the midst of those who um, mocked him. Yeah. You know, and, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, right. what they do. That is grace. Yeah. You yeah. know, because he could have. That was personal. It, yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. It could have been Father. <laughs> strike them right now yeah. you know or yeah. you know or cause them to have leprosy you know, these anything. people are the yeah, worst yes these are people are the worst but <laughs> you know but you see this grace you know even when how the when the disciples operated in disbelief you know judas i mean he had to betray i mean he had someone that was gonna uh you know uh, betray him right among a part of his friendship circle that was close in and still given the opportunity gave opportunity you know and 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 still loved you know and so you look at that you know um peter was going to completely deny him you know and you know and so i look at that and i god knows i'm not jesus right you know you want to like you know didn't you want to just slap him then you just yeah. want to, you know, just yeah. just slap a one good time, you uh-huh. know. But um, you know, <laughs> but with that, you know, I think about that and I have to lean into that. And then sometimes you, you know, it's I can't do this. I don't it's it's impossible to do this work without Jesus. I don't understand how people do this um without him. I can, I I can't. But people do. People do. How do you I, think that happened? Like what's the that's, I mean, I just know. on a practical level, like just, how does that I, work? I think just practical, you know, right and long morally, because it is moral yeah. work, you yeah. know. And so there's a lot of people who don't have faith, but they do have value. Do you feel like that do you feel like uh I want to get back to that grace conversation because uh-huh. I was actually really encouraged by that. Let's go back to that. Okay. Because okay. no, I'm actually I love that approach because I think it helps people on both sides mm-hmm. of that question. There's there's people who are like just be charitable. It's like a yeah. should. Uh-huh. Um, but I like the idea that whenever we see grace in these conversations extended to one another, when, whenever we see charitable uh-huh. conversations about this subject, we can uh-huh. look at that and be filled with awe right. and wonder mm-hmm. as opposed to being like, well, good. Everyone's doing what they should be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then on the other side, like I like that. I like that. Um, it's, what was I going to say about that? Like, I think I, I, I feel like there's a two way grace is two way because sometimes we can use it as one way. And so sometimes people are like, well, you know, I'm just learning. I need grace. But then also on the other side, you have to give grace. So we tell people, especially in our group, when things happen, you have to you need to have empathy for, um, you know, w- because we are a collective culture and when something happens, that's very personal for us. And so I may lash out in anger, but also on the other side of that, I need you to extend grace to me and have empathy. Like, okay, this is what she, there's a lot going on. I need to pray, you know? So, you know, it's not about, um, one of the thing in American culture we don't do well is lament. And sometimes we try to move on to the very next thing. Um, and so sometimes we need you to sit, in that grief with us and that sorrow um just like we want you to celebrate and sit in the joy with us you know we want you to sit in the and lament with us and sometimes we don't know what to say um but you know i tell people don't tell me you're sorry it puts like all the pressure on me like we're not in this together if we're brothers and sisters in christ and we all have the same goal that whatever happened should you should have just as much pain as I'm feeling. And if you're not, it's like to say that, you know, I'm sorry, just puts like, I'm, I'm sorry for what happened to you. Yeah. So it's like not, it's it, a it level of detachment. Yeah. It's a yeah. detachment. So for me, it's like saying, you know, I'm with you. I'm uh-huh. praying with you. I'm standing with you. I'm holding up your hands. Even if you don't get it. Right. Even if you're not feeling it, cause right. you're, you can walk in and out of it. Yeah. But with that empathy, you're able to step into that sorrow with me mm-hmm. and say, you know, I don't understand everything, but if you're hurting, I'm hurting. What would you say is your deepest fear about your calling? I think um, the deepest fear would be that for for the truth that you speak and um, the grace that you uphold and for the um god that you serve that um that hate would rule in someone's heart and um and that they would um you know death 
you know i mean you think about you know so many people who stood as bridge builders and stood in this tension like this is how deep this divide is is that people were murdered for this you know every you know just about every major civil rights leader that we had in the black community were was murdered they were assassinated and so when we think about some of the people that are using their voices um they have been isolated this episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Heavy question. Mm -hmm. Do you fear being assassinated? I don't necessarily fear being assassinated okay. you know, or anything like that. I don't think, but I do fear for some of the people that I know that have way more stronger voices than me, okay. that are way more prophetic, yeah. um, that are um, in this, this political tension of standing in midst of political tension. Yeah, I do. Because um, I've seen, um, you know, we've had uh, an increase in, you know, a lot of people are not talking about, but it's statistically, um, we've had an increased um, number of um, hate crimes. You look at what just happened in Oregon. There's a young man in Maryland, um, uh, you know, that was a soldier. You know, ROTC is scheduled to graduate a week from he was murdered by a white supremacist, you know, and stuff. And it's like we're not talking about these things and why it's not that these things haven't always existed. But you have someone um, that took a knife and was going to kill you know murder two girls because of uh one was wearing a hijab and the other one's african-american and the men that tried to defend them um two of those men died and one was in the hospital so this is the kind of cesspool we have to look at where's that undercurrent coming from what what is what is happening you know and so the thing is there are crazy people out there and this is just a few situations that i've named you know the anti-semitism that has increased you know um in california the hate crimes against um asian americans you know the hate crimes that has happened in texas where i'm from against um mexicans you know um or just like the latino community because everybody this you know um this hispanic is not from mexico you know and everybody is not a um an immigrant you know um some of the some people who are from hispanic, hispanic culture have been here longer than white people and then you think about you know the things that are happening in native american communities and residents. Uh, and stuff like that and the thing is at the end of the day this is their land you know and, you know and so you you think about these things that are happening um you know people getting attacked and you know airports and you know all these different things that are happening things happen you know and so despite how graceful you are or how people love you and different things you know we we look back on um, MLK right now and we admire him we have a day but there's a lot of people a lot of people that stood on the wrong side of history with him he's loved now he's revered now why where I say history has a way of a proven itself um, where people wouldn't want to say anything negative about him now because of how it would look but people do stuff subversively where you know the things he really stood for we like to quote him but they, we don't like to to get into the depth of what you know his letter from the Birmingham ham, ham jail like what what was it really saying you know what I'm saying you know I've been to the mountaintop you know like all these different things that that but you look at someone who was so beloved um, was assassinated and so those are things that yeah and so it's not that I fear like walking around like oh someone's gonna say but I know it's possible because I know the evil of what supremacy does you know I know the evil of racism the sin of it you know um it 
it that sin is evil and it and it and it's because our unity points people to God, you know, John 17, it points people to God. Um, our division points people away from God. And so racism and white supremacy has been used to divide. And so I think it's definitely a strategic tool that the enemy has always used, used from, you know, the and, beginning. And it seems like you're saying your fear is just that. You're, what you're doing will not work. Yeah, yeah. It's It's not that... I don't fear that what I'm doing is not is not going to work because I understand that it may not be for everyone, but for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. For those who have um, eyes to see, let them see. So I carry that tension where um, Jesus didn't reach everyone. You know, I'm not going to reach everyone, but he reached a few. And we, you and I are sitting here talking today because of those few that he reached. And so that that movement, you know, changed the world, transformed the world. It split time, you know. And so. Um, so last question. Um, it's weird. If you could get into a time machine, go back in time, step out of that time machine, introduce yourself to yourself. What would you tell her? I would say, you know, um, stay encouraged. Mm-hmm. I would say um, you're you're different because. um you're being set apart. God's going to do something amazing. He's going to use you to do something amazing. Take advantage of every opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't don't um, cry while you're at corporate America because you're going <laughs> to use those tools uh-huh. one day. You're uh-huh. going to need that experience one day. Um, take advantage of every opportunity yeah. and do your best and um and everything learn all that you can so that's what i would how are you different um how am i different now i think how were you different then that yeah i don't think i was as confident okay um i think i mean like you told yourself embrace that you're different you're different for a reason i would say different because you know there's there's you know, I, I became a Christian in college. I didn't come, you know, I wasn't brought up, at, you know, like I, with, with great morals and like American Christianity, that type of thing where, mm-hmm. you you know, you go to church on Easter and, you know, Mother's Day, you, you know, you believe in God, but yeah. not like a relationship with Christ. And so I would say, you know, there was early signs, you know, for me wanting to talk to Jesus, you know, without being exposed to that, yeah, there was, there was just something different about me, you know? And, um, I knew that, but I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be like everyone else, you know? And so I think, um, just the way I was wired, feeling like I was a pushover or, you know, people took advantage of you. I had to grow in the maturity of that, but, um, you know, I think that was the early signs of, you know, learning conflict resolution and, you know, just some different things. So I, and I think definitely confidence, you know, like, um, so you, you were raised in a relatively moralistic environment. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 My parents were, you know, they taught me right from wrong and all those different things, but they just weren't churchgoers. They believed in Jesus and love God and, you know, all those different things in their own way, but they didn't believe in the, um, what you would say, the institution of the church, (laughs) you know? Um, and so I went, I went to church. I went to church with my grandparents, you know, um, and so one was Missionary Baptist and the other one was AME Zion. So those are two um, African-American denominations. And so, um, you know, so, yeah, when I went and there were very small churches, you know, so I wasn't exposed to, you know, youth groups and, you know, how people do missions trips and all that stuff, the whole denominational stuff, non-denominational. I, I all that I had to learn when I became a Christian in college. Like, <laughs> you had to learn. I, I yeah, like that. That's a thing you have to learn. Yeah, yeah. you do. You, that 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 Christian. Um, I say churches and yeah, um, Christianism, the culture. the culture of the yeah. church. You know, I didn't. I didn't even know Bible stories like that. Like yeah. I didn't know who Daniel was or uh-huh. David, and you know, Genesis. Like I didn't. You know, I remember reading some Psalms or something and looking at stuff, but I didn't understand what the Bible was, Mm -hmm. you know, until I was in college. Yeah. You know, I didn't understand, you know? So, so you went to a Christian college? 
No. Mm-mm. You didn't? I just, it was a, or I went to East Carolina University. Okay. And I was a part, I became a part of this fellowship. Um, it was called New Generation Campus Ministries. Uh-huh. And they were a ministry that was very strategic that set up on camp- campuses, um, and African American campuses and also in predominantly white campuses because, yeah. um, especially particular African-American students weren't be being reached by the Christian organizations like InterVarsity Crew and all this, you know, all the right. different groups that were on there. They had a specific target. They probably didn't realize it. And, you know, I think later on, you know, some of them formed, you know, groups to kind of strategically go out there like Asian-Americans and African-Americans and stuff like that. But, you know, on my campus, um, you had your white Christian organizations and then you had NGM. We called it NGM. And so NGM um, was on our campus. We had connections with, at NC State, UNC. Um, and so we would do regional conferences, you know, in that area in North Carolina. And the the organization was outside of, they were in Virginia. Um, and that's how I came to faith. You know, someone in, well, a friend that was going, I went to their um, Bible study and I was like Ugh, they are nerds like, Ugh, <laughs> I don't ever want to go back there these are the worst people uh-huh, ever uh-huh. and then like maybe a few months later they said hey we're going to UNC to go to a, this regional conference that our um, the organization we're connected with You want to, y'all want to come and me and a friend of mine was like yeah say so UNC we'll go you know and then, then it was some some really cool friends we had that were a part of it but i just thought they were just like boring people you know and then i went to this event and saw these amazing people that looked like me celebrating um that looked very current and even talking about the bible in a fresh way um and that was appealing to me you've been listening to the calling latasha morrison is the founder of be the bridge you can follow her on twitter at latasha morrison Remember to rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps us a whole lot. The Calling is produced by Jonathan Clausen and Morgan Lee. Theme music by Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.